Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. I don't know whether you you all heard this. I won't get started on this too, but I don't know whether you all heard the um, this guy for the uh, I think is chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. In fact, I, I'm getting ahead of myself because I, I was going to talk about this, mention this at least in my sermon. Maybe now I won't, or maybe I'll say it again. But they asked him, so what, what are you going to do about these high gas prices? A reporter was asking him, a journalist, what are you going to do about these high gas prices? I mean, how, how are you going to, how are you going to deal with this? People, and he says, well, as the president said, we are establishing a liberal world order and we have to stand firm. And you think to yourself, you just want to dope slap him, not physically, but metaphorically. What? What does that mean? We want to establish a liberal world order and we have to stand firm. I mean, that's dumb. But that's what we're dealing with, saints. So we just have to keep praying and believe in God. Amen. Come on, say amen again. We just keep believing God. There's nothing we can do about it uh, for, for the moment other than pray. And of course, look forward to the next election when we vote in some people who we believe have the righteousness of God as their guiding principle rather than their own secular socialist Marxist mindset uh, in which they, which they inflict on the American people. And we got to pay for this. Uh, we're, we're supposed to feel good because after all, don't, don't worry about Jesus coming back. No, 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 no. It's the climate change apocalypse that we've got to be worried about. And you ought to be glad to pay five or six or seven or eight or nine or $10 a gallon for gas because we're going to save you from climate change. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Praise God. All right. Well, let me get to it. <laughs> Amen. Believe it or not, I'm still going to preach. Amen. Amen. Uh, and I believe it or not, I've been preaching. That's, that's what you call prophetic utterance, what I just gave you. Because the country needs to hear this stuff. Amen. Amen. Those of you watching online, share this with people because they need to hear it. All right. I want to call your attention to Psalm 119 verses 42 through 45. Psalm 119 verses 42 through 45. And here's how it reads. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me. For I trust in your word and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. I have hoped in your ordinances so shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. And here's the key verse. And I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. And I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. And in commemoration of this 246th anniversary of the existence of the United States of America, the Lord has laid on my heart to talk to you about the blessings of liberty, the blessings of liberty. Now, the preamble to the Constitution has really been pretty much dismissed by courts as legally irrelevant. Uh, and I think they made a grave mistake because I think that the preamble ought to be both legally irre irrelevant and culturally relevant for the future of our country. Amen. Here's how it reads. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty, 
to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Now, I want you to notice two things, first of all. The use of theological language in this preamble, for people who say, oh, America was never a Christian country. America is not culturally a Christian country. That's a lie. It's, it, it permeates all of our history. But they use theological language. They could have said to secure liberty and left it at that, but they said to secure the blessings of liberty. Blessings come from Almighty God. And they should have left out do ordain. They could have just said do establish, but they said do ordain. In other words, that they're, they're engaged in a sacred act here, doing something that they believe God is approving. And so they had a theological perspective from the very beginning. And that's why I think that the, the preamble is relevant both legally and culturally. So first then let's look at the language. Where does power reside according to the preamble? It doesn't begin with we the founders, we the politicians, we the elites. It begins with we the people, we the people. Now look, that language is so critically important. Those are the first three words of the Constitution. Why? Because our founding fathers established our government on this basis. Freedom is inherent in us as individuals. We come together and we surrender to our government the ability to serve us in ways that we can't function individually. So our government has a collective responsibility that we delegate to it. Government is not imposed upon us as Americans. We as Americans created government for the purpose of serving us. So that's why this begins, we the people. See, in our system, the Constitution is established not to limit us, but to limit government. Let me say that again, because a lot of people don't seem to get this. Maybe all of you do, but it's worth emphasizing. The Constitution was not established to limit us. It was established to limit government, to circumscribe government power over us so that our freedom would not be threatened by our government. Amen. The founding fathers said as much in the Declaration of Independence. Here's how it reads. It says, and, and I, I want you to see the preamble as connecting us to the Declaration, which is why I think it ought to have legal significance in setting the tone for what the Constitution means and what it intends to do. But the Declaration begins, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. Now notice, immediately reference to God. Immediately. This is something that God has given us the right to do as free individuals. It says, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So say, 
They said, they're saying, so let us explain to you why we are separating. And then it begins with these famous words, continues with these famous words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, the founding fathers said, government's not imposed, it's consented to by the people who established the government for the purpose of securing their rights as given to them by Almighty God. And then they go on to, to, to justify through the laws of nature and nature's God that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people, see a right given to them by God, to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Do you all see the connection between the preamble, the blessings of liberty, and the declaration? The declaration is saying, this is what we have a right to do by Almighty God. The preamble to the Constitution says, now we're going to implement those rights through this Constitution. So the preamble makes clear that our way of life, our governing system, is rooted and grounded in we the people consenting to be governed by the, by the Constitution which establishes this government. So here's the second principle, second point. The first purpose that the preamble announces after it says we the people is in order to form a more perfect union. In order to form a more perfect union. The first thing the preamble announces is the need for unity. Think about that. The first thing it says, we're doing this because we're trying to bring the American people together in a union and we know it won't be perfect, but we are seeking to, con to make it more and more and more perfect. It was designed to bring us together. And by the way, you all know the process. I mean, they didn't just sit and, and pass the Constitution on September 17th of 1787 and then impose it upon everybody and go back to the states for ratification. And there were big debates about it. That's what the, the, the Federalist Papers are all about. They're all about a debate over the nature of this Constitution, which is one, one, one of the reasons why I continually remind you all and anybody I can, we are not a democracy. The United States of America was not established or designed to be a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And the people who keep talking about democracy, what they're really trying to say is, we want my rule. In other words, we want whatever we can get the majority to go along with, we want to have that be the law of the land. But the problem is that the majority can take away rights of the minority. And our constitution was designed to say, there are certain things you can't do by even a majority. You've got to go beyond that. And there are checks and balances on what can be done because there are inherent rights that you simply can't take away from people. Amen? 
Amen. Amen. We are a constitutional republic. Let's say that together. We are a constitutional republic. Praise God. Next time you hear politicians talk about our democracy, just gently and, 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 and nicely and respectfully correct them. Because James Madison, who is considered the father of our constitution in um, uh, number, uh, 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 Federalist Paper number 10, talked about the differences between a democracy and a republic and made clear that they wanted to steer clear of a democracy because of its tendency to degenerate into mob rule. And that's exactly what some people want. That's why they want to do away with the Electoral College. The Electoral College was put in because even though Virginia was the largest state in the Union at the time, and therefore in many ways the most powerful and most influential, the, the, some of the most famous founding fathers came from Virginia. They created the system in a way that Virginia couldn't dominate the other 13 colonies and that no large population in a given state could dominate the country. So they created a bifurcated system in which there would be representation based upon population and then there would be representation based upon the state. And the people want to get rid of that. What they're really saying is we want California and New York to reign. That's what they're really saying. Because between those two states, you can almost carry any election. By, simply by, I mean, California's got 40, well, of course, they're declining in population. But last time I checked, they had 39 million people in California alone. 39 million in the state. And we've only got about 8 million here in Virginia. You, you, see, you see the point? I mean, they've got, they've got three and a half times more people than we do. But the founding fathers understood that and didn't want us dominated uh, by people based upon population. They wanted a balance because remember, the federal government didn't form the states. The states formed the federal government. Amen. 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 Now, see, when you consider the preamble and the first principle that it announces to form a more perfect union, you can understand why it's so important because the Supreme Court has done things that are completely contrary to that. I mean, for example, we talked about the cases of, of banning prayer and branding, banning the Bible in the schools. Those were, were very, very divisive actions by the Supreme Court. Now why, why do you say that Bishop Jackson, that they were divisive? Because the country was clearly and still remains, thank God, even though that's eroding, a nation of Judeo-Christian culture. Well, I say America has no official religion and we don't want one, but America is a Christian country. That's been our background. That's who we are. Amen? I mean, we're not Buddhist. We're not Hindu. We're not atheist. We're Christian. But thank God we don't have an official religion because then you have the government telling you which religion you're supposed to be following. We don't want that. But culturally, we are a Christian nation. When, when the British blockaded Boston Harbor, uh, George Washington didn't go chant the mantra. He went to church and prayed and fasted and asked God for, for guidance and direction. Amen? Amen. 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 So when the Supreme Court banned prayer in the schools and banned Bible reading in the schools, it was really taking a step in separating us from that Judeo-Christian culture and background. That's really what they were doing. 
Uh, and it was a dramatic step that we're, we're, still, we're still experiencing the detriment of that today. The First Amendment to the Constitution actually says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Now I want to ask you, how do you get from that to telling people they can't pray in a public school? You, you can't. You got to really twist the language and you got to go through all kinds of gyrations to come up with that. But that's what they did. How do you come up with that to say you can't let a child read, a, read, a, read, read the Bible in school? Or to, to how it's been perverted in some systems where you can't let a child come to school wearing a cross. You can't let a child put a Bible on their desk. I mean, this is a complete perversion and, and deeply divisive because, of course, many Christians who want to be able to at least acknowledge their faith are being told, no, don't, don't. I told you all about this. I, I, was, I was in the dentist one time and I uh, was talking to the dental technician and uh, I told her I was a minister. And she said, well, can you explain something to me? It was very innocent. I mean, it's clear she was non-political. She said, I had a little girl, six years old, um, in, in the chair not too long ago. And she was wearing this beautiful gold cross. And I told her, I said, oh, that cross is so beautiful. And she, she started crying. And I said, what, why are you crying? She said, because my teacher told me I can't wear it to school because it offends people. That's how perverted this has become. And how divisive it has become. Because can you imagine now, I'm paying my taxes and sending my child to school with a gift from the family and you're telling her something bad about her because she happens to be wearing a cross. That's division. And we're seeing it, we saw it in Loudoun County, we're seeing it all over the country because this stuff is spinning out as there is a more, as a greater and greater push to secularize everything and get God out. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So they started us down this very, very bad road of secularism based upon uh, a false idea, separation of church and state. Now, folks, there's no such thing in the Constitution. It doesn't exist. They made it up because of where they wanted to take us. Just like they made up stuff with Roe v. Wade because they wanted us to be an abortion country. They want us to have abortion. They made it up in, in Obergefell in 2015 because they wanted same-sex marriage. They just made it up. There's nothing in the Constitution about separation of church and state. The justice picked that up from a letter that Thomas Jefferson had written to the Danbury Baptists who were concerned about the federal government encroaching on their worship and their faith and he assured them that there's a wall of separation that would keep the government from ever interfering with their faith and they've twisted that into oh we don't need christians in life in in government we don't need we don't need you don't we don't need to bring up god in public life we don't no we don't need prayer in, a, in the public square that's what it's become twisted into and how often we've heard prayer being shut down because one person complains. One person, oh, that's, I'm, I'm offended by that. Oh, well, what's, what, sorry about that. I mean, did you all these stores? I mean, of course this is unrelated, but it's the same spirit. These stores stopped selling patriotic gear because somebody complained and said, oh, that's, I'm offended by that. 
Well, that's, that's exactly where we are with regard to religious liberty. All it takes is one uh, homosexual activist to complain or one abortion, pro-abortion activist to complain. Why are you bringing up God? Because they're offended by God, see? And that's, that's what the Supreme Court sadly unleashed in the country. They, they, they marginalized Christianity and they magnified secular atheism. And that's exactly where we are. I mean, that's why we've seen all these lawsuits against people who do, I don't want to bake a gay cake, but I'll bake any other kind of cake, but I'm not going to bake a gay wedding, so-called gay wedding cake because I'm a Christian. I don't believe it's right. Oh, we're going to sue you. And how many people have been run out of business, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, lost their jobs because this is what the Supreme Court gave us when they started down that road in 1962 and 63 of separation of church and state. Instead of making us a more perfect union, they made us a more divided country. And frankly, we've gotten more divided ever since. You all see this recent poll that came out? See, in, as, as, late, uh, as, as long ago as only 10 years ago, 11, 2011, 69% of Americans said they were proud of the country. And now in 2022, only 39% do. Because what has happened is they've, they've taught people, and I'll not get ahead of myself, but they've taught people to hate our own country. So look, uh, I'm sure some of you probably caught this, but they, they were doing interviews based on this poll, doing interviews and asking people, how do you feel about the country? And I don't think they were picking these people out. I think they were just random. Now, it wasn't New York. New York's a different matter, but probably would get a somewhat different response if you were doing that in Virginia or certain parts of Virginia anyway. But they were asking, how do you feel about the country? Oh, I, 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 I don't, you know. Just remember, during the Olympics, they were asking these college kids, are you rooting for the American team? No, I don't root for the American team. I don't like America. You live here, you're a citizen of America. You don't like America. I'm not rooting for America just because I live here. Just goes to show, we, don't, we, we have not in our churches, pastors, taught a theology of place, that God places you where you are for a particular purpose, and it is not to establish a root of bitterness that springs up and defiles many. It is to represent him and to be grateful to him for the blessings that you have wherever you are. Amen? Amen. Amen. So one woman was asked, I, I debated with myself a little bit with the Lord about whether I was going to say this, but, I, but here it is. So one woman was asked, are you going to celebrate July 4th? She said, no, I'm celebrating Juneteenth. And I thought, now see, there you go. There you go. Division. Look, we have one country. We have one national anthem. We have one flag. We have one Independence Day. You want to celebrate other things? Be my guest. But how, how do those things become a substitute for the unity that we need in order to continue as a nation? And I tell you, anybody who doesn't understand that, I, I don't know what to say for them. I really don't. Colin Kaepernick, who everybody was telling me, oh, he, he's, not, he's not against the country. He's only against discrimination. I said, no, he hates the country. And so, so, sure enough, wasn't long after, he said, I'm not celebrating July 4th. Why should I celebrate a country that oppresses my people? So, oh, and... It, Karina and I were out. I can't even remember where we were, uh, Karina. I was trying to think of where we were. We had gone to so many places. But I, we, we, we saw a Black Lives Matter protest march. 
And of course, your intrepid pastor caught up with it and wanted to stop and talk to people, see what they thought. <laughs> I think he was looking at me and said, oh no. <laughs> and, and I don't think we've even told uh, our security about this one, but they would probably go, oh, thank God. <laughs> but anyway, so I started interviewing people. I asked this one guy, you know, because the issue of the flag, I think, was in the news or something like that. Yeah, I think it was. I think that was the time all the flag kneeling was going on. And I said, so, so what do you think about the American flag? And here's what, here's what his answer was. I'm paraphrasing, but here's what it was. Whatever flag people want, they can have whatever flag they want. I don't have a problem with their flag. I, I'm not for their flag. I'm not against... You know, it was all about there. Like, it, the American flag has nothing to do with me. <laughs> it's just another flag that people like to fly. And I thought, oh my goodness gracious, is that what we've come to? I mean, look, I don't have a problem with Lift Every Voice, the song. We, we used to sing it. It's a hymn. I, I've often said, if they ever find out it's a hymn, they'll probably want to stop singing it. But it's a hymn. There is no black national anthem because there's only one nation and there's only one national anthem. If you want to sing that song, great. God bless you. But this division, oh, no, no, we've got to have our national anthem. Well, you're not a nation. There's one nation, the United States of America. Amen. Amen. So. Um, and look, even our embassies now flying the homosexual flag at our embassies. If there's ever a place where you want to show unity, it's in a foreign country, wouldn't you think? Because when they fly that homosexual piece of garbage that, that, that blasphemes God by taking the rainbow and turning it to a sexual perversion symbol, you're not representing me. So basically what you're now doing is you're dividing the country and saying, well, we're celebrating this and those of you who don't, too bad. See, the flag ought to be something, the American flag ought to be something we can all celebrate. But oh, no, no, that's not good enough. We, we got to divide. What did Jesus say? Matthew 12, 25. Matthew 12, 25. And I'm just reading the, the last clause, last couple of clauses. But Jesus said, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Now, do we believe what Jesus said? Because if we do, we ought to realize all this division can't possibly be healthy. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. By the way, that word des desolation is a Greek word that means is brought to ruin, is laid waste, is stripped of all it has. He said, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Now, we need to be coming together around those things that can bring us together rather than allowing a small minority of people and a very small minority of people sow the seeds of division that can't possibly bring anything good for the future of this country. I pointed this out before because most people don't know it and I'm going to keep telling it because most Americans don't know it. We had a civil war, which by the way, was not only fought over slavery. It was, it was slavery was the, was sort of the triggering factor. But here again, if you're a student of history, you understand we almost had a civil war break, break out under Andrew Jackson's administration. 
because the South Carolina didn't like some tariffs that he passed and he was unrelenting and they threatened to secede. And it had nothing to do with slavery. It had to do with tariffs on the goods that they were sending overseas. And they threatened to secede and some other states were threatening to, to, to side with them. And Andrew Jackson put his foot down and said, if you do, I'll march the army in there and arrest every one of them.